we, we made, made this. this. So w- let's have a look which was our most popular technically episode so far. Because these have all been on. How do you pronounce it? Sprecher? Sh- I've just been saying Spreaker. Spreaker? Why have, Spreaker? Why have I added a CH in there? I don't know. Sounds, I was going to say it sounds very European. Mm. Computer War Tennis Shoes, 57 listens. Yeah, that makes sense. Pilot episode. Yeah. I think uh, we've... <laughs> Drop off from there. <laughs> exactly. Like uh, um Alien Resurrection, I think, on SoundCloud had about a couple of hundred, and then it just dropped off from there. Well, there's a lot of masochists out there that really want to put themselves through the Computer War Tennis Shoes again. They do. <laughs> and again, when we listen to them last episode, because, you know, sequel. Geolocation. Oh, let's see where our listeners are from. Oh, okay. Where are they perving from? Hey, that's cool. So uh, forty-one point forty-one percent UK. Okay. Twenty-seven uh, percent USA. USA. Twelve, USA. Twelve percent from Spain. Four percent from India. Mm-hmm. Mexico, Germany, Chile, Canada, Sri Lanka, Australia. That's pretty cool. Are those a list of cities as well where people are listening? Yeah. So eight point six three percent of our listeners are from Grimsby. Too many, in my opinion. <laughs> that's that's probably all me and you. Yeah. <laughs> I might look it up at the top of a page for popular in Barcelona. Yeah, the so, highest percentage of our listenership is Barcelona in Spain. Sounds like to me we should do a road show. <laughs> Without about us live from what? Barcelona. Where else have we got? We'll have to see if we can find the most awkwardly racist film towards Spaniards. Because there will be one. Oh, God. There easily. Will, there will definitely be one. <laughs> what else have we got on the list? 3% in York, so that'll be our Rob. Hi, Rob. <laughs> 7% in Doncaster? I don't know anyone in Doncaster, I don't think. I would imagine you wouldn't have to be far out of Grimsby before it decides you're in Doncaster. Yeah. Scunthorpe doesn't count. No. Actually, that that could be um, Gemma and Steve if they li- if they listen. I don't know if they do. Oh, and we're also popular in Bolton. Bol, yeah. Who who do we know? In- do we know anyone in Bolton? No, I don't think so. I know a couple of people around like Manchester Salford Way, but I don't know anyone from Bolton. Eight percent Sutton Coalfield. Where the hell's Sutton Coalfield? Is that Birmingham? Oh, it's Birmingham, isn't it? Oh, so that'll be. Uh... Hi, Matt. <laughs> Colonia, New Jersey. New Jersey, do you think that's Kevin Smith listening in? <laughs> if only. Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool to look at. Yeah. By the way, if you listen to this, Tony, I gave Tim the password to everything. Sorry. So if I wanted, I could just take down the entire network you with could, one yeah. click of a button, but I won't. <laughs> you, you could blackmail Tony. So yeah, our highest listenership is on the Apple iPhone app. Hipsters. Then Spotify, then then Apple iPod. Who's listening on an iPod in 2019? Retro hipsters. Hi, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> iTunes generic Android app. Mm. What um, do I use? I use Pocket Casts. Um, and oh, so Pocket Casts only represents. 0.71% of the listenership, so that's good to know, because yeah. that, that's me. But that means you're not listening to it that much to skew everything. Yeah, I'm not skewing the figures too much, good. Mm. Well, 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 how fun. There you have it. Coming to theatres this Thanksgiving. One of Disney's all-time animated favourites... 
comes to life. 101 Dalmatians, featuring 101 of the furriest and funniest stars you've ever seen. Versus the meanest, nastiest, and most outrageous Disney villain of all, Cruella DeVille. Poison them, drown them, bash them on the head. I don't care how you kill the little beast, just do it and do it now! Walt Disney Pictures presents Glenn Close in an all-new live-action motion picture event. <laughs> 101 Dalmatians. Now I've got access to this, I'm going to absolutely obsess over it. Like, who... Oh, hey, am I going to get a text at 3 o'clock in the morning saying, we've only got this many listens. Cinematry <laughs> yeah, as this. Where yeah. have we got that? Um, Steve, who has his own YouTube channel called Coach Home UK, a little plug for you, he has just posted his second video and he said he's completely obsessing over the uh, statistics and just constantly watching the numbers go up. Mm. And it's it's a dangerous game. That's one of the things that... I really didn't like about myself when I was on YouTube was yeah. was that just desperately staring at the figures constantly. Can I remind you of my antics on Twitter for the last six months? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Glad I'm out of that game. Right, shall we get on with it? Yeah, go on then. Hello everyone and welcome to Without a Mouse Podcast, the podcast where we watch and review the obscure and forgotten live action Disney movies on the hunt for a hidden gem. I'm Tim. Hello, and I am joined as always by my good friend Chris. Hello. And this week we are reviewing the live action remake of 101 Dalmatians. Not really obscure or forgotten though, is it? No, not well, you'd forgotten about it when I mentioned it. Well, that's because you like laid down a really obscure fact about it. Like, what was the first live action uh, adaptation of her own animation thing? And you didn't know the answer, so that's obscure. No, probably because you worded it like I just did. <laughs> yeah. I bet kids these days haven't a clue that this exists. Didn't even know they were born. Actually, they probably weren't born, were they? This is 23 years ago now. If you were, you know, 10 years older than us and 10 years younger, you might not know about this film. Mm. We're, we're very much the demographic for it. 1996, yeah! <laughs> so, yeah, came out a good few decades after the first one, because that was uh, in the 50s. Um... Shall we just get straight into it? Might as well, if we've got nothing to preamble about. Have you done anything interesting this week? Because I haven't. No. Oh, actually, I have. We did. We had a charity event in our garden the other day. Oh, okay. Which was pretty good. Raising money for a local charity. We raised 450 quid. Ah, oh, fantastic. And how many sausages do you have left? Oh, Jesus Christ. Did you see my tweet about I the did. sausages? I did indeed. It is a sausage fest in this house. Uh-huh. We, um, we bought a box of um, cheap 
well, a box of 80 cheap sausages from a local butcher. Uh, I know which one. Yeah, the one near it, your work. <laughs> shite. <laughs> yeah, it is shite, but it's cheap. We had a box of 80 and 50 people turned up. <laughs> so we still had like 40 odd sausages that we defrosted the next day to use up. So I ended up making a million portions of like sausage casserole and toad in the owl. And we had some cooked sausages left. So for the literally for eight meals in a row, I ate sausages. Oh, good grief. And our freezer is absolutely packed full of sausages. There was Daisy off the diet to help out with a sausage situation. No, didn't give any to the cat. Oh. Maybe we should have. Poor Daisy. No, she would have been very ill if we had. Yeah. I mean, she's looking a bit less chunky these days, so that's all right. Yeah, she's slim and svelte, our cat. Yeah. I've got my phone out. But, oh, yeah, I was going to... I think I took a picture of the Disney Life um, description. I thought you'd say, I took a picture of her sausages. <laughs> Here's my new food blog. No, we're actually... Sausage Fest. We're actually going back to uh, the film, sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. Yeah. Yeah, so... I mean, funny enough, uh, if you were in the 701 Dalmatians with all those sausages, you'd been really popular. It's like being in a Punch and Judy show if I just had sausages slung over my shoulder. (laughs) Dressed as a policeman. (laughs) So yeah, the Disney Life description for 101 Dalmatians, it said, Dalmatians, Pongo and Perdita are overjoyed by the arrival of 15 puppies, but when the spotted fur-loving Miss Deville... Dog naps the litter, along with every other Dalmatian pup in London. Pongo and Purdy must rally the town's animals to their rescue. Did you say Perdita? Yeah, did you not know that was the name of the other dog? No, it's Purdy. Right, here is the thing. Yeah, to be fair, the the full name of the dog is Perdita, or Perdita, and in this film, she only ever gets called Purdy. Yeah, what kind of name's Perdita, anyway? Oh, no, it's Alien not... versus Perdita. <laughs> A... I was going to say, it's not a Spanish name, is it? We've not just offended the whole population of Barcelona. <laughs> oh, God, there goes for live tour. Yep. Cancelled. Ah, never mind. We'll do a tour of Bolton, it'll be all right. If you're the person that's in Bolton listening to our podcast, do uh, do say hello on all the ways you can, you know, do that. Yeah. Send us a postcard, even if it just says, help, written in blood. <laughs> I'm being forced <laughs> against my will to listen to your awful podcast. Just to point out, we do live in Grinsby, so, you know. Yeah, there's worse places you could be. Scumfop. So, this film, hour and 42 minutes, a bit longer than we've been covering mainly. Yeah, above average, in all fairness. Right off the bat, I will say, doesn't feel like an hour 42. No, it skips along pretty quick, doesn't it? It does, yeah. This was the first film that we've watched so far that had the 90s um, Walt Disney Pictures logo in blue at the beginning. You know what? I, I did notice that. It seemed very stark compared to all the Buna Vistas and all the other stuff that we've gone through. Yeah, but it's um, proper nostalgic for me. I really liked seeing that because, yeah, even the we've seen quite a few films from the 90s now, but that none of them have had the classic. It's the way the, the castle scans down yeah. and then, you know, the writing goes across. Good, good. Just yeah. good. I think with this one, they wanted to make sure they got that classic feel because obviously it's an adaptation of one of their animated classics. Exactly, yeah. yeah so they had to do that. It ca- it, this deserved it. Heavyweights probably didn't. No, I would. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yes. <laughs> so opening shots of good old Londinium. Yep. Back here again. Yep. With a milkman on his rounds. Remember them? Yeah, I do. I think it was one of the parent trap, wasn't it? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, there probably was, I think. That, I'm sure this is the same locations as in the London bits of Parent Trap. It probably is. It's probably uh, all the streets near the Disney UK offices. Yeah. More than likely. Back um, into upper-class Tory Britain. At one point, there's a shot of the main character's street that they live on, which has the actual street name. So I tried to look it up to try and value their house, but it's a fake street name that they okay. put on for this particular film. So that was a bit annoying, because I really wanted to know what... <laughs> At least four million. Yeah, it was Got pretty, to be. Pretty nice. Yeah. So yeah, we after our establishing shots... We meet our first pupper, mm. which is Pongo. He's a helpful doggo. Yes. He's getting his owner, Roger, ready for work in the morning, giving off real Wallace and Gromit vibes, I thought. Yeah, yeah. So he's, like, pulling the uh, bed covers off him. Yeah, and... he's turning the percolator on. Yeah. He's uh, grabbing the milk bottles from outside and everything. He turns on the Apple Mac computer, which, uh, again, oh. it's it's all very 90s, this whole sequence. Old it? school, yeah. Um, we actually had an Apple Mac in 1996. Oh, bloody hell. Pretty similar model to this one, I Fancy. think. Fancy. Yeah. I think we had one at, at our school for a year for some reason. I was that one kid, like, there was me and another kid in my school who were the only two that had a computer at home. And obviously my dad being a teacher, he was like, we must get a computer. But it meant, like, when I was in primary school, I would often get pulled out of classes and taken down the hallway to show another teacher how to do something because they had no idea how a computer worked. Sounds like me and my day job right now when it's fucking 2019. <laughs> yeah, I was getting well nostalgic seeing the Apple Mac. When, what year about was this? Sort of mid to late 90s that we had an Apple Mac because then we got a we got a tiny PC in the noughties, I think. I was just about to say, first time I got a computer, well, it was my stepdad's computer uh, when he moved in in about... It was like January 2000, I first... I didn't even... First time I ever went on the internet was then as well. Cool. I hadn't before then. With an old school modem. Yeah. Squealing at you. The old noises, yeah. I I think... I spent all my days playing on all those games on Cartoon Network's website. (laughs) Yes. They run on Macromedia Shockwave. On the Mac, the only game we properly had was um, Prince of Persia, the original Prince of Persia. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was one of the heavy hitters for the Mac back in the day. And then my dad subscribed to mac format magazine so every month we'd get one of them and it had a floppy disk on the front mm. and uh, we used to pl- it always had like game demos on so i ne- I never played a full game of anything as a kid <laughs> with the mac because it was just we played the demos and that was it but there were some really good rip-offs of a lot of arcade games yeah. so it was like a really good rip-off of centipede on one of them called aperion and then there was a really good rip-off of tempest on another one which was called arashi and I really want to play them again, but I can't find them anywhere. Okay. Because they were literally like shareware that someone had made in their home, like in their basement. And... Yeah, like harkening back to the old Amiga Commodore sort of days. Yeah, it yeah. really was. I'll tell you what was the real big game. It wasn't for the... Oh, no, I think it was for the Mac. The... Did you... Do you remember the Simpsons Cartoon Studio? I played it. Yeah, I had a demo for that, which was really annoying because... It was like a software where you could actually like make a sort of little cartoon. Yes, wasn't you it? could with little sound clips and stuff. But because mine was the demo, I could, it didn't let you save your game. So if I'd made a really good video, I had to like literally get my mum in to watch it and then delete it. What's really funny is uh, my actual dad uh, got a computer late on in two thousand, and first two games he bought was that and Virtual Springfield. 
Nice. A, in Virtual Springfield, uh, did you ever hear of that one? There was an advert for it in the demo of this other game, and I really wanted it. Even yeah. though I was never a massive fan of The Simpsons, it looked really cool. It was like, how do you describe it? It was like a adventure sort of detective game, but it, it looked but like, like a, a Doom sort of point of view to it. So it's sort of pseudo 3D. Yes. Right, because it always looked like it was a 2D kind of game when I was seeing the adverts. Yeah, if, just, unless I've completely misremembered it. But so is it literally just you walk, you can walk around Springfield? It, you can walk around and you're investigating something. I can't remember the plot of it now. Cool. I really wanted it as a kid. Yeah, it was really cool. Now, to be fair, now I'm, I'm thinking after we finish recording this, I might go on YouTube and check out if anyone's uploaded their cartoons from the uh, Simpsons uh, studio <laughs> game. <laughs> it was really funny because it had a really, for the demo, it had a limited amount of animations and sounds and stuff. Yeah. So basically every time I played it, I did exactly the same shit. Like. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find a copy, put it on my computer somehow and uh, make my own. Yeah, that's gonna be my next big thing. Yeah, go for it. I'm gonna meme all over again, <laughs> if that's the correct term. And uh, for anyone that's thinking this is completely off subject, ah, screw you, Roger's a computer game designer. Yes. Yeah, brought it back round again. So that's why he's got his Apple Mac in his house. Um, he's basically invented a game starring Pongo, which is pretty cool. Um, because he uses the the art style from the original 1950s yes. film. Which is pretty cool. To be fair, it's. I mean, it was. The graphics have been completely unrealistic for 1996, but it looks like a really cool game. And even now, if you add that sort of style, I think it would really work, especially like the indie game market. Yeah, it's that sort of 2.5D, isn't it, where the environments are sort of 3D animated. Yeah. Which, as you say, is way better than a computer could actually have done back in the day. It's clearly like done in a studio but then pongo is a 2d animation so it it has a really like it's aged really well it has to look at i really liked it and uh, i think we also go across to purdy yeah but i didn't realize at the time it was a different dog that's understandable that yeah. you know they're both dalmatians although i think the, the reveal we get in a minute sort of plays towards that so we see um purdy with a need to and, uh, Who is Perdita's owner? Yep. Oh, Perdi Anita, sort of, same. Perdita Anita. Oh, yes, yeah, I've yeah. never made that connection. Yeah, no. sort of works. The news is on in the background, and there's news of a Siberian tiger's being nicked from London Zoo and done be killed. Well, specifically, it hasn't been nicked. Just the skin has been nicked. Because I made a note about this, because the, the news report says that the, the tiger's... Um, corpse is there, but it's been skinned alive. They should have cut to it. That would have been fantastic for a Disney <laughs> yeah. film. But what I was thinking was how like ridiculously overcomplicated that is as a plan. Like as you say, nick the whole animal, mm. kill it, nick it, and get uh, get rid of all the evidence. Somebody broke into the zoo and had the time to skin it whilst in the enclosure. I've got it. All right. It was Dark Willow. <laughs> Yeah, could have been. Yeah, <laughs> bored now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've forgotten. Have you read the Buffy comic book at all? I've read the season eight. Yeah, because um, Warren comes back in that without he his does. skin, doesn't uh, he? Oh no, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> grotesque. <laughs> oh yeah, not good. No. Anyway, at the park, this is when it's revealed. Oh yeah, there's actually two dogs, and they don't know each other. 
Roger and Needs don't know each other either, but um, Pongo and Purdy immediately hit it off, as yep. I would say. Yep. And then we go from here to Roger's work, where there's a lad, can't remember his name, but he's... It's like a video game tester. Yeah. Um, and so this is when we first see the actual video game with Pongo, um, and he's kind of jumping from iceberg to iceberg, um, and there's a dog catcher that's the villain at the end. Yeah. Um, and the feedback from the kid is that it's it's essentially a good game, but the villain is just too shit. I was going to say, it's a shame we didn't go more angry video game nerd of it. <laughs> yeah, if it was filmed now, they probably yeah. would have done What that. a shitload of fuck! Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I won't play this game with a buffalo shut in my mouth. <laughs> Very uh, interesting uh, beverage of choice on the table. There's some Dr. Pepper in this shot. I liked it. I, I, th- I was very surprised. You know, Disney and Coke tend to go hand in hand. Mm. But we got a bit of Dr. Pepper. Um, Same company though, isn't it? Well, it is over here, but not in America. It was filmed over here though. Oh yeah, it was filmed over here, wasn't yeah. it? Ah, there you go. So it might have been Dr. Pepper. England. It's all very confusing, isn't it? Because... Coke don't own Dr. Pepper, but they distribute Dr. Pepper, but only in the UK. I didn't even know that they didn't own it. No. So um, in America, like Dr. Pepper is one of Coke's biggest rivals. Oh, right. Okay. But then Dr. Pepper, I'm assuming they didn't have the funds or the resources to go overseas to the UK. So they just licensed it to Coke. Oh. So there you go. Fair. Which is why when you're in England... In like the Coke freestyle machines and stuff, there's Dr Pepper. But when you go to America, if a place sells Coke products, oh for God's sake, the cat's jumping out the window. No, Daisy, yeah. don't do it. You stupid little shit. <laughs> Get out. You just take a picture of it. Of course I did. <laughs> I'll put that on Instagram later on. My cat gave me a tone off on Instagram the other day. If I post pictures of Daisy. Who told you off? My cat. <laughs> My cat has an Instagram account. Oh, right. At, at Millie Pinknose. Every week I say about our Instagram for this being mostly pictures of my cat, but to be fair, your Instagram's got more pictures of my cat than mine. Yeah, it does. Oh, more pictures. <laughs> She's posing for you. Yeah, sausage. Oh, love you. <laughs> Adorable. Anyway, I think she actually quite likes you because she does. She does like to be with us when you're about. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. What was I even talking about? Podcast. Just um, Doctor Pepper. Yeah, yeah, I was getting really boring about Doctor Pepper. I don't know how relevant it is to anything, but I just noticed that the kid was using a knockoff N64 controller. Yes, I noticed that as well. <laughs> it's like they got one, and then they thought, "Shit, that's a copyrighted design." Better get saw off the analog stick. Yeah. Either that, or it was like a dodgy. Yeah. Uh, a third party controller. Oh, yeah. Which I had a lot of when yes, I was a kid. Same here. So, next we go to the House of Deville. Yeah. Where Anita has come up with a dress designed using spots, uh, in, inspired by a picture of uh, Purdy on her desk. Yeah. When we say House of Deville, this is literally like a design house, isn't it? It is, yes. Um, but it on the door, it says House of Deville, as in like a house you live in, but traditionally you would call you would spell it for a design house it would be h-a-u-s i don't know where it comes from but like house of gaga house of germany <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> but um so yeah interesting that they didn't 
say that. Too German. And yeah, so Anita works for the House of Deville. Um, See, I, I think Anita's a bit of an idiot here because surely she realises that Cora Deville makes stuff out of fur. Yes. Therefore, where is she going to get the spots that look like Dalmatian spots from? Yeah, because she's designing a dress that basically does Dalmatian spots with a boss that loves... Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, God damn it, Anita. And so we meet Cruella for the yeah. first time, who's played by Glenn Close. Um, absolutely standout role of this whole film. Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole, I think she, the whole film came about for the, this purpose, really. You mean a role made for her? Well, a role made for Glenn Close, but also like as if the film was made for Cruella to be in it. Like, it feels very much a vehicle for that character. Yeah, I can see that, actually. Yeah. In, in the other films, like, um, I don't know if you've... Cause... Have you seen the original 101 Dalmatians? Yeah, Because yeah. obviously in that film, it's more from the dog's perspective because they can speak. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in this, it's using real life dogs, and we don't get any speech. So they they focus a lot more on Cruella in this than they do in. In all fairness, I think when you say to someone, name a character from One Hundred One Dalmatians, they're going to say Cruella Deville every time. Oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I... it stands to reason that this is her star vehicle. That's why she's on the film poster. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, she was, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. for this and the sequel as well. And she's way bigger a character, a pers- bigger personality than anyone else yeah. in the film, isn't she? Oh, she throws a role into it. I mean, I've been reading on IMDb about how Glenn Close really cared about a character like throwing in like darker lines where she could because she felt it fits her character a lot more. Yeah, I saw that she was actually literally scaring all the dogs as well. Yes. Because she was so scary. <laughs> uh, Poor doggos. Yeah, but um, she really uh, likes this design of Anita's. Starts asking questions about her dogs straight away. Yeah talking about the Dalmatians, uh, where Anita says that basically the, the hair is quite coarse, but um, it wasn't when she was a puppy. So, of course, then Anita, uh, Cruella gets excited at the thought of killing lots of Dalmatian puppies to skin them. Yeah! Uh, which is very obvious what she's thinking, but <laughs> Anita's oblivious. I don't, yeah, but Anita's a bit of an idiot again, because Cruella doesn't do subtle, does she? No. And uh, there's a line where Cruella... Because Cruella really likes Anita's work. She thinks she's a good employee. And then Anita uh, Cruella asks Anita how long she's worked there. And I thought this was a good time for Anita to say like a few weeks or maybe a couple of months so that then we can understand we have a reason then for her not understanding what Cruella's like. Yeah. But she goes, Oh, I've been here about two years working in the room next to your office. And it's like, fuck off. Like, yeah, hearing all the cackling going on. This was they literally set up a, a excuse for Anita to not know what Cruella's like, but they, no. they didn't use it. No. <laughs> it's also here that Anita says, you know, she's more interested in marriage than a career. Yes. How very traditional. Very traditional. There's some very traditional roles in this film, isn't there? Yeah, just a bit. Yeah. Uh, after that, well, we oh. uh, of course end with uh, the good old... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if um, if Cruella hadn't been subtle enough, she actually ends with the line, if we make this outfit, it'll be like I'm wearing your dog. <laughs> <laughs> as subtle as a brick in mm. the back of the head. Yeah. But um, Anita still doesn't... Yeah. Then suspect anything later on in the I film. I think Quo could do a shopping list of the exact things she'd do to those dogs. You know, <laughs> in the order of slices and all that lot, I need to still be like, yeah, but I want to get married. <laughs> yeah. 
So next we're back at park. Back at the park, and Pongo chases Purdy. Yep. All around London, and then I suddenly realise why we've got Jeff Daniels in as Pong as a uh, Roger, so that he could fall in the lake. Yeah, and make some very daft faces along the way, and and shout Pongo a lot. Yes. In the middle of London, like like the face he makes when he has to go down the stairs on his bike. Yeah. 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 Totally straight out of Dumb and Dumber. It's a really funny sort of like breakneck tour of London because they literally go from Leicester Square to Trafalgar Square to Hyde Park within like seconds on their bikes. Amazing, like, isn't it? It is literally like going from one postcard to the next. <laughs> yeah, but yet they never go to like Brixton or Shoreditch or. No, it's all the pretty areas, yeah. isn't it? Oh, where else is a shit hole in London? Where looks really London? We'll go there. Yeah. Um, noticed a poster for Goldeneye in the. Back of one I did, shot yes. <laughs> I'll say that aged it by at least 18 months. Yeah. Because that came out in 95. Yes, so that would have obviously been the time it was shooting for yes. a 96 release. And then, whilst we're in the park, some nuns in the background. Yeah. I nuns. can't say I've ever seen nuns in London. I have a feeling nuns are following us around. Because they, they, they were in the background of one of our dinosaurs is missing. They were in the background of... Um, the Princess Diaries, yes. when there was the trolley crash. So something to look out for. Because then I remembered like my favourite Disney film, Goofy Movie. There's nuns that keep cropping up in that. For and again, it's they're always in the background as like a recurring sort of joke. Mm. So I don't know if it's it can't be a director sort of signature because all of these films are from vastly different time periods. Yeah. So I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's Disney's way of telling us that we should uh, sack off this whole concept and review Black Narcissus instead. <laughs> is that like a... I've never heard of that one. Is it like a black exploitation nun film? No, no. It's like a like psychological thriller from the 40s. Oh. It's really bloody good. I'm guessing there's nuns in it. Yes. <laughs> I hope I've got the right name now. I'm going to get crucified by at least Germans if I don't. Um... But yeah, so he goes for a dive in the river. Um, and it finally gets Pongo off the leash so he can go and talk, well, meet Purdy. Yep. Um, and Roger, getting angry, accidentally collars Purdy instead of Pongo yep. to try and take him away. Um, and obviously Anita goes apeshit and hits him with a bag, which, as we find out afterwards, has a brick in it. Rational. Yeah. The explanation that she gives is that um, whenever she sees a nice brick, she collects them. But she never says what she's trying to build. She's just collecting bricks. I don't even do that for Lego. <laughs> what, whenever you see a Lego brick on the ground, you just pick it up? <laughs> I mean, it might do. Depends on the circumstances. I don't know if I've ever seen a Lego brick out in the wild. I see a couple at work, but that's because we have a few kids running around. Right. But yeah, the doggies cop off, essentially. Yeah, more or less. And then Anita clearly fancies Roger, because she's sort of stumbling over her words and like, stuff. Man! So this bit... Um, Oh no, we haven't finished it yet. I'll mention it in a minute. Mm. But yeah, the, the, she's trying to be dead subtle, but the dogs know what's up. They can tell that she fancies them. Mm. So then they all go their separate ways, but then literally straight after leaving, Anita decides to follow Roger and stalk... It, it's, yeah, it says stalk him, and then it's Purdy's turn to go apeshit. So she, Purdy starts chasing the boys, and then they end up in the pond. Oh dear. So just a little note. This is a very long and overly complicated sequence, which in the original film, 
I don't know about the book it's based on, but in the original film, all four of them end up in the pond together, all right. tangled up. Okay, in yeah, yeah, they do, don't they? So it seems like just killing time by having them fall into each other twice, essentially. I think what we're trying to do here is, because it's quite obvious, uh, a need to and Roger are slightly different in terms of appearance and their outlook, it seems. So you think we need to get that prissy, prim, proper Anita talking to soggy Roger first? Um, yeah, well, we just basically t- take her down to his level, essentially. Yeah, I suppose yeah, so. Instead, yeah. Make it a bit more believable that she's also a bit of a down on a look klutz. Yeah. So, so they all go home. Yeah, they're all pretty wet. So they all go, I think it's to Roger's house, to sit by the fire with a cup of tea. Yep. And it's here that Roger asks if uh, she wants a cup of marriage. <laughs> Best Freudian slip in a film I've ever seen. Yeah, it's certainly a slip. But then Anita's just like, yeah, I'll marry you. Which I was like, da fuck? Quick work. Yeah, they've not even kissed at this point. She's just decided, she's so desperate for her husband, as she mentioned in the last scene, that the very first man that asks her to marry him uh, she just says yes without even knowing him. Yeah. And then they kiss. They do. And their socks catch on fire and they all burn to death. The end. Yep. Done. <laughs> so where can people find you on the internet, Chris? Well, on Twitter. <laughs> so, yeah, so we get married. We actually do get married in the next scene. Yeah. That's done. They yep. live together now. Yeah. A to B. A road well travelled. <laughs> done. And then from here, we get some back alley Cockney nonsense. Yeah. Well, we've got the other side of London now. Yeah. This Cockneys. Is, this is the real London. Yeah. Uh, Gritty. Yeah, so we've got our henchmen, Jasper and Horace, played by House and Arthur Weasley. Mark Williams. <laughs> Mark Williams. I can never remember his name. Yeah. He's in every British film ever, but I can never remember him. He was in the 90s and early 2000s, that's yeah, for sure. Bloody yeah, hell he was. And obviously Fast Show as well. Yeah. Really reminded me of the Wet Bandits, these two. Yeah, I've definitely. You've got your tall, skinny, lanky one, and you've got your short, stubby, fat one. So it's... Yeah. And the way they're dressed, it's just stereotypical bad guys. Um, and they they go to this back alley taxidermist, ironically called Skinner. Skinner! <laughs> uh, so Skinner is like... He's been attacked by, I think it was a Rottweiler or it something. It was, yeah. And it had his um, vocal cords ripped out, so he's a bit of a mess. Yeah, um, and he's like got a massive scar on his lip as well. Yeah. And there's this whole build-up beforehand where Hugh Laurie is telling, uh, telling Mark Williams, like, you know, don't you know, don't mention the scar. And then he's like, right away, just like, Look at that scar! Oh, mate, that looks awful! Yeah, <laughs> and we see them smuggling this... Uh, what we assume must be the tiger pelt, Yes, it is, yeah. Uh, in a coffin, and they take it to um, a scary mansion, mm. which is obviously Cruella Deville's house. Yep. Just a quick cutaway before we go to Cruella Deville's house. I like how Roger Anita's marriage is in the newspaper. Yeah, with a picture and everything. Yeah. As if they're like famous royalty, but he's a failing uh, video game designer and she's out of a job now, apparently. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because Cruella's in bed reading the paper with them in. Um, and yep. Roger's surname is Dearly. Yep. Which really wound me up because in the original, their surname is Darling. And Cruella, throughout the film, calls Anita 
she says, Anita, darling. Obviously meaning darling as a term of endearment. Yes. But obviously originally it was a last name as well. Mm. So it's really annoying. Probably why they changed it in all fairness. Yeah. The, so Quella's uh, presented with a tiger fur. Uh, I've made a note here that you won't get, but I'm going to go with it anyway. It's a wrestling reference. Okay. Uh, she's dressed like a BDSM Ric Flair. Woo. I mean, she's pretty BDSM, so I got that bit. Yeah. <laughs> Her pad's really swanky and pretentious and very 90s as well, isn't it? Yes. Very ostentatious. Pretty gross. Mm. Looks pretty gross by today's standards, yeah. definitely. So, back to Roger and Nita. So, we've got Roger who can't sell his video game for shit. Yep. We've got Anita who, I assume, is winding down her career now anyway before she's sacked in the next scene. Yep. So, what do you do? You hire a nanny. Yep. In your new house that they've just moved into, which, as you say, even in the 90s, must have cost at least a million. Yeah. Like, it's in the slap bang in the middle of London, down this sort of little secluded cul-de-sac kind of thing, isn't it? Where the hell have they got their money from? I don't know. But never mind that, they're having a baby. Yep, they're <laughs> having a baby, the dogs are going to have puppies, everyone's up the duff. Yeah. Roger's having another go at his programming and he's got a new villain, uh, which for some reason is a mechanic. <laughs> I didn't know if this was supposed to be like a really too subtle dig at Mario, because they're kind of in a sewer... And then there's a mad, there's a fat man with a moustache and a wrench. I think that's what we're going for, I yeah. I think they, that's what they're going for, but I've literally only thought of it right now. Yeah. So, it was too subtle. It was a 90s, it should have gone with Sonic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have worked. Yeah. So, uh, Coella shows up, because she's heard that uh, Purdy's going to give birth soon. Yeah. And after... A, um. Never, that's it for that bit, because then we get to the night of the birth. Yep. It all, it all as we said earlier, skips along pretty quick. It does, it? yeah, because about say your quail comes back immediately after Purdy gives birth spoilers, so. Yeah. How many puppies does Purdy give birth to, then? So we get two puppies. Yeah. We get three puppies. Hey. We get four puppies. Hey. And then we get 15 puppies. Hey. <laughs> 15 puppies. Then we get 14. Oh, because oh, we've lost one. Um, but it's all right, because Roger uses the force and uh, brings it back to life. Hooray! <laughs> Fifteen puppies. So they decide to call the one that nearly died Lucky. Yep. At this point, I was like, this isn't 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> no. The thing I was thinking at this point was Purdy giving birth to 15 puppies. Not being funny, but she didn't look pregnant enough before for 15. Well, we didn't get a chance to see her pregnant. We were told yeah. she was pregnant and then she gave birth, pretty much. <laughs> Well, her belly should have been the size of... Um, do you remember the time you... I think it was you who tweeted it. Like, uh, your first name plus the hedgehog. Google it. Oh, yeah. And I then, loved that. To see what your uh, weird Sonic fan fiction entity was. Yeah, so here's a game for you, dear listeners. Google Chris the Hedgehog. <laughs> That's the size of a stomach that Purdy should have had. I remember Tim the Hedgehog was black and very emo so i was like yeah that's pretty much me now mine was uh inflated with oxygen in a sort of sexual sort of way oh dear yeah was it a quite a well drawn image then was it high quality no it wasn't it looked like it was done in ms paint in about five minutes all right okay yeah christopher hedgehog during the scene where um the puppies are giving birth and roger this was another um very uh traditional gender role 
Roger and Pongo are left outside of the birthing room to to overhear the news from the women of the house. Yeah, like, come on, it's 1996 here. God. I mean, you you can almost imagine there was a shot cut out where they're both smoking a cigar and drinking whiskey together. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's it's very traditional. But I was very distracted the whole scene because um, they had the art book in the bookcase behind Roger the whole time, which, again, is a very 90s thing. Do you remember the art book? What, the sort of thing you have on a coffee table? Yeah, it was the coffee table. It was the book that invented coffee table books. Yeah. But um, it it even crops up in like episodes of Friends and stuff. So any time I spot it, it just reminds... It's, it's so 90s, it's brilliant. <laughs> it was that very 90s thing where every letter of the title was in a different font. Oh, I don't know about that. No, very 90s. No. You know when word art was still cool? Mm. That like- was... Like an impact font, but like slanted, and it's all in rainbow colour. With a shadow that was twice as large as the original font. Yes. I've, uh, having this charity event the other day, I've really enjoyed uh, getting to play with some word art on there. Do you know what? Did you get some clip art in there as well? Of course. Yes. Um, I'll tell you what, though. The word art selection on modern PCs is uh, pitiful compared to what you used to get. Mm. I do miss it in a weird way. Oh, dear. The professionalised fonts now. It's not good enough, is it? No. So, yeah. Puppies are born. And thunderclap Cruella. Yep. Straight in there. Um, they do a really good um, image of her hair sort of silhouette through the window. And yes. she stood in the window of the door. And this is uh, taken straight from the original as yes, well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, very, very good visual, that. Really good uh, shot. And she comes in. Checks out the puppies right away, and uh, she's distraught because we don't have any spots. Yes, which is actually what happens with Dalmatians, but obviously Anita never thought to mention because she wasn't expecting Cruella to steal all of her puppies. Dalmatians are always born white, and then their spots arrive later on. Mm. So (laughs) Cruella's just like, put them in a bag for me, and I'll take them. (laughs) I'll take them to go. And she's like... Oh, it was a doggy bag. (laughs) So uh, obviously they're like, well, they're not for sale. Fuck off. She offers them seven and a half thousand for it. She wouldn't even cover a, a month's rent in that property, let's be honest. No, so if I was them, I would have taken the money, to be fair. Yeah, poor anyway. as fuck. Um, so they say no, Cruella gets very annoyed. and uh, Over the top as well. Fires Anita. Yeah. So, oh, that's how they make the money. So From the lawsuit, from... Um, the wrongful dismissal from a job. So here's the thing that I said to Kirsty, and I was like, I, I don't understand because again, Kirsty watched this with me. Um, when Cruella first arrives, before when Perdita is pregnant, but before the puppies are born, yep. As she arrives, she makes mention that Anita has been on leave. Mm. So my first instinct is, oh, she's been on maternity leave. Yes. But then, whilst in this conversation, Anita informs Cruella that she is pregnant and will require maternity leave. So why the hell was Anita on leave to begin with? She was twagging it, wasn't she? Yeah, I don't understand this reference at all. I don't understand... Why they needed to do that, but she's she was on leave, then she's on maternity leave, so mm. she's never fucking working, apparently. Great big swagger. Yeah. Dob her in. 
Yeah, um, a few months later, it's all snowy and stuff now. How yep. pretty. Winter. With uh, 15 dogs uh, watching the Avista cats. Yeah, and then uh, they change the channel um, and it's Homeward Bound. Oh, is that what it was? I was trying to figure out. Uh, I thought it was Lassie. Have you ever seen Homeward Bound? No, I've not. That was another one that they used to play at Wick Gift Film Club a lot. Is that a Disney a film? Kid. It is a Disney film and it's mm. live action. So that's why mm. I'm just making a big deal out of it. Mm. And in that one, the animals do talk. Yeah. Don't know about that. <laughs> I remember it fondly, but as it's not not watched it for decades. So until next time, nah. <laughs> it's not my pick, mate. <laughs> Jokes on you. I've not even thought about it. <laughs> pick yet. Yeah, I'm not surprised. You never have. <laughs> yeah. So this is the uh, what you would call almost like it was the the gender reveal party of. Dogs, because they're all getting their first collars with their names on. Yeah. It's a naming ceremony. And even this is just so upper class and poncy, because they've all got like these designer collars that come in little jewellery boxes. They do. Like blue for boys, pink for girls. Yeah. Uh, Could you imagine that scene playing out these days? No. <laughs> <laughs> but this, the note I put was, this is what we're here for, because there's literally puppies just like... On every surface, jumping up and down. Yeah, it's like um, it's like an internet video. There's just <laughs> dogs everywhere. So, something Kirsty pointed out: um, the first um, female pup that we see, called Jewel, who gets her pink collar, has got a knob. Okay. <laughs> so it's very obvious. <laughs> like, maybe she identifies as a girl. Yeah. You know. Yeah, maybe this is a more yeah, progressive film than it we is. think. Yeah, you know, it's her choice at the end of the day. Yeah, um, but all of the dogs are named by either their personalities or what they look like. So you've got like... Oh, on the last, on the final case, Wizard, yeah. what they do. <laughs> they Yeah, Wizard pisses everywhere. Yeah. Um, Dipstick's got a black tail. You've got Fidget that fidgets. Two-Tone's got two-tone ears. So okay, got... I thought like two-tone fur, like, uh, yeah, doesn't everyone? <laughs> <laughs> no, like one ear is black and the other ear is white. I didn't even get that, no. Roger and Anita take Pongo and Perdita out for walkies, just as Jasper and Horace turn up to nick the puppies. Yep. Nanny's bloody useless here. Yes, she is. Well, I mean, in all fairness, she's ambushed by two grown men. Shoved in the pantry, which just gave me, like, vibes of Tomb Raider. Do you know what it gave me vibes of? Was Mrs. Doubtfire? Oh, yeah. Just because of the way the nanny's just like, like it's very uh, Robin Williams in drag while she's like trying to beat them up. Very slapstick, very 90s kids film, family film. Also, uh, to mention, there's a great shot when the robbers get to the puppies of just a a basket full of puppies, which again, very, very uh, internet video. Yes. Very YouTube clip. There was a lot of, me and Kirsty did a lot of um in an hour in watching these pets. <laughs> it was cute. And yeah, they kidnapped the dogs. Yeah. Um, but as they're leaving, there's a Chelsea pensioner walking his bulldog. And the bulldog, he, again, he knows what's up. He knows yeah. what's going down. So he's shouting. So he's barking away and it communicates onto one dog to the next dog to the next dog to the next dog. Yeah. Until Pongo and Purdy hear about it in the park. Yeah. So although these dogs, we don't hear them talking... It's assumed that these animals can communicate to each other. Yes. Which is 
pretty cool. It is, yeah. I think it's the best way of doing it as well. I think I would have been taken out of the film quite a lot if we were all communicating like humans. But uh, whenever there is a communication between dogs, it's very easy to understand for an audience. Yeah, in all fairness. It works really well. Especially like Pongo and Purdy. There's a lot of decent acting going on here. There is some very good acting. Yeah, but I'll say this should be bloody Oscar nominated. Yeah, because um, when they first go home and see that the puppies have gone, like yeah. they look genuinely like they're going to kill themselves. Yeah, they're like, so sad. Heartbroken. Yeah, I very felt for them, and it was just so well done. Yeah. And we go to a little village, obviously in the outskirts of London, where Jasper and Horace are hiding out, um, and they ring Deville. Um, to tell her that they've got them. And it turns out we see them crossing off a list um, that they've managed to steal a total of 99 puppies from all across London. Yes. And uh, meanwhile, the police have been informed, but no one's actually thought yet, hang on a minute, how about the crazy lady that wanted to buy our dogs? Yeah. So At this point, you would have thought Anita would definitely know it was Cruella. Yeah, you could have cut half hour here. Just like, yep, yeah, it was definitely her. Yeah. She's batshit insane. She goes, and everything. But yeah, as they're being transported to the mansion, um, the puppies call out to a shaggy dog on the side of the street. Yep. Which in the original um, film was actually a cat. And the cat actually had a name. So it was called Sergeant Tibbs. So I think I've referred to it as Tibbs from this point on. Oh, yeah. Quite a big character. Should have been a cat. Yeah, it should have been a cat. But I I bet cats are a lot harder to train, to be fair. Yeah, true. Because they don't do what the, they do whatever the hell they want, like sit on all of your possessions, like that one is doing right now. Daisy's like su- sleeping on my keys <laughs> and my watch, so you can never leave. Oh, yeah. So and um, so communicating with another dog who communicates with raccoons and rabbits and sheep and pigs. Yeah, and every other animal going. We go back to um, Roger and Anita's house. Where they're basically saying, you know, what what can the police do? There's not really anything they can do. So Pongo then takes part in something that in the original is called the Twilight Bark. So he goes up. It's basically the doggy version of the internet. Yes. So like we saw earlier with the bulldog, he goes up to the roof of the house, starts basically barking to say his kids are missing. And uh, all the dogs that hear him pass it all around London, barking about, and it gets all the way back to um, Tibbs, who then lets him know that they've found them in the... Yep. And uh, meanwhile, between that, all the animals meet up, and it's like the UN of animals. Yeah, in a farm stable. Yep. Um, and there's a big Dulux dog, um, which, again, in the film, in the original film was called the Colonel. Oh, yeah. So good. you've got Colonel and Sergeant. Good name, good name. And he hears the bark, so he rounds up the animals. Then Tibbs arrives, and he at- <laughs> this dog acts out what's happened to the <laughs> puppies. So he gets like a sack, and he throws it over his shoulder, and he like walks on his hind legs. And oh, it's brilliant! Yeah, really good stuff. He gets in the bag to show that there were puppies in it. It's so cute. Yeah. Um, one thing with this farm stable uh, scene. There's raccoons in it, which are not native to England. Yes, I was going to point this out later on, because they play a bit of a part um, with uh, tampering with the van later on. Yeah, Yeah. they're not native of England, that's incorrect. There is a sort of colour palette theme that runs throughout the whole film, which is obviously black and white because of the Dalmatians. Yeah. Um, Everything of Cruella's is black and white. At the wedding, they've got white doves, white flowers... Jeff Daniels is in a black suit. They've got a black car. So it's very two-tone colour palette. And there's two 
types of animal that are not native to England, which are raccoons, yeah, and, and then later skunk, a skunk, yeah. and they're both black and white. So I don't think it's. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's intentional that. Yeah, any any excuse to get a black and white animal in. They should have got a zebra in there as well. Or a badger, which is native to England. Those are big fuckers, though. Yeah, and you, there's no way you can fucking train a badger. No. They are wild animals. <laughs> <laughs> so Tibbs goes to the old house that they're hanging out at, the bad guys. Yeah. And doesn't he talk to a mouse? Yes. Who, like, points his tail in the right direction. I quite like this, because, like, the music cue it plays off uh, Fleet Free Blind, Free Blind Mice. Oh, did it? I didn't it even did. pick that up. It did, yeah. Nice. Which is very good. But, yeah, he ocean elephants this shit and finds them locked in a in a bedroom. Yep. Um, and they manage to, like, open a grate and get sneaking all these puppies out, all 99 of them. Yes, they do. While this is happening, uh, Quella has uh, called up Skinner and <laughs> she wants the job doing tonight. Yeah, so he packs up all of his torture devices, yes. that it looks like, doesn't it? Yeah. And then, yeah, we go back home. Anita's saying, like, you know, Pongo and Perdita will be fine. Everything will, everything will work out all right, we're sure. And this is the point, finally, Anita only now cottons on to why Cruella stole the dogs. <sighs> and this was an hour into the film. I know, it's like... Fucking hell. Because she then suddenly gets out the drawing of the Dalmatian dress and is like, oh my god, this is what Cruella's plan is. But surely the point was when she offered to buy 15 puppies of an evilly laughed. Yeah, and you'd think, like, she's giving the others this information as if, like, they hadn't cottoned on, but surely somebody would have. <sighs> yeah. You don't need the design to know what's going down. Mm. Anyway, then Pongo and Perdita, they hear back from the Twilight Bark, so they run away Yep, um, to try and find the kids. They then come across an electric fence, which is relevant for later as well, but yep. a bird guides them round, yep. you know, where they're supposed to go. Yep, um, and we get to, back to the Deville Manor, um, where the colonel sneak, is sneaking around to, to get some reconnaissance. Um, some squirrels and a raccoon vandalise a car, yep. putting rocks in the exhaust and um, break, uh, gnawing some cables on the heating inside. And then we get a bit where there's a is it a woodpecker sort of yes. type creature uh, banging away at the door. So Horace and Jasper keep answering. They're wondering what the hell is going on. Yeah. Um, and Tib starts evacuating puppies. Um, out of the rooms, but um, Lucky is asleep in a corner, so yeah. gets left behind. Idiot. And Jasper and Horace see Lucky escaping last, um, so they chase after him, but slip in his piss. Oh no! So this is uh, a callback to Wizard. Yeah. Yeah. So so Wizard pisses on a magazine of Quora Deville, which is what they slip on. Yeah. The pups end up having to go down a drain pipe as a little slide. Yeah. And we get some really shonky. Uh, CG. Yes, I was going to point this out. In all fairness, there is quite a bit of CGI in this latter half of the film, yeah. and it's either, they either do a really good job or it's quite shonky. Yeah, um, luckily they're all short sequences, so it's yeah. not too. And a lot of the time, they film the dogs from a distance. Yeah. It's just only when we get really close up that they realise mm, the rendering wasn't where it is these days. No, still very much nineteen ninety six. It's functional shall we say it does the job yeah, yeah. they do their I... absolute best to not use cgi like there's a lot of live 
dogs. Yeah, now. apparently they had about 240 dogs on the roster for this film. Yeah, there is um, some of the raccoons at one point. They're clearly puppets as well. Yeah, uh, but apart from that, they they really do as much practically as they possibly can. Yeah, I think in this case, throwing a dog down a drain pipe isn't very acceptable. So we'll no. accept CGI. Yeah. So yeah, Jasper finds Lucky, and just as he's about to creep up on him, he falls through the floorboards of the old house. Yeah. Um, well, that's very lucky, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> then we get some ice-slipping antics outside with Horace, who falls in the fountain. Yeah, he, um, like, he falls all the way from the top of the house. We've gone from Mrs. Doubtfire to Home Alone at this point. Yeah, very quickly. It's um, very, very, very Home Alone, where you've got you know these two bad guys tra- being thwarted by the... Kevin McAllister slash yep. puppies. With no real chance of even getting an inkling of comeuppance. No. <laughs> to be fair, it'd be a much darker film even if I managed to give one of the dogs a swift kick, but it's we, al- you can't do that here. It's also very like Home Alone in that the thi- the things that happen to the bad guys should kill them. Um, To a lesser extent than Home Alone. Home yeah, Alone's full-on brutal, like yeah. fucking toast from the face and everything. Yeah, but Cruella arrives on the scene in her car um, to find Jasper on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, where the fuck are the puppies? And he like tries to stall for time, but like she sees right through him. You know? Yeah. So Cruella starts following some paw prints that she can see in the snow, but it turns out to be sheep. But yep. It's a double bluff because as she leaves, it turns out the puppies were all hiding inside the sheep's fur. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, also, to note, there's a skunk on a car seat as well. Yeah, which comes up later. Yep. And Lucky finally get. Oh no, Lucky gets left in the manor whilst they've all escaped, and Skinner arrives. But it's all right because uh, nib- uh, Tibbs nibbles him on the glutes. Is what I put. <laughs> uh, bites him on the ass, yeah. and Lucky escapes. A bit of a tibble. Yeah, a tibble nibble. Yep. And then we see the cops arriving at DeVille's London house um, where they actually find the tiger pelt and they get a tip off from the staff of the address where they're hiding out. So that was very easy for the cops, isn't it? It was a bit, yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, what, six, seven police fans there as well? Yeah, back in the 90s when the police actually had resources. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We go back to the farm, which is where... They're taking the pups. Pongo and Perdita arrive, uh, and we see a very odd shot of the puppies drinking fr- directly from a cow's teats. Mm. I'm not sure how I felt. I felt a bit uncomfortable with that. They, it's, had, it's cute, but I think they had to explain how they could get away with the dogs being away from their parents for a long time without starving to death. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I can think. Stuff that, you know, of you all the suspension of disbelief in this film, that was the one thing that was worrying me, was how, yeah. how these dogs were still alive. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because like other films, you have passage of time, but you don't see the characters you know, having food, going for a dump and all the rest, like a yeah. normal human does. It just happens. So yeah. There's a trend with the Disney remakes um, where they do try to address certain questions that people have had about them and plot holes so this obviously wasn't this shot with the cow's milk wasn't in the original but i don't think it was a question people really had i think what i'd do if i was remaking it i just have a massive klaxon that yells shut the fuck up nerds (laughs) yeah it's a kid's film yeah uh yeah but um devil bitch finally arrives at the uh 
the farmhouse and the puppies all hide in the hay. And obviously we get, a, as she steps out of a car, she steps in some shite, which yep. is uh, and, good. Yeah, and a crow steals a hat. Yeah. <laughs> and then she walks up to the barn door. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out before we carry on was that this whole section with um, Cruella in the farmhouse is original to this film. Um, none of this slapstick that happens actually happens in the, the animated Be- version because in the animated version she's just um, she's driving a car really fast and just crashes. Yeah, and that's kind of how she ends the film. So dangerous driving. Yeah. Oh, we missed. We did miss out a quick bit just back in the van with Horace and Jasper. Right. So first of all, the van doesn't start. So oh yeah. So Jasper's made to go check on what it is. And he gets what looks like a lemon in his face. Well, it's probably a rock, wasn't it, out of the exhaust? Yeah. And then, so he's, like, suffering from hypothermia, just being blasted in the face. And in the car, he's, like, freezing to death, and he wants the car heater on. And he finally, like, ignores Horace and turns it on, at which the whole van sets on fire. <laughs> yeah, that's your Home Alone shit, where they yeah. actually, they would actually die. <laughs> But yeah, um, then the bunny, uh, some bunnies in the farmhouse. Um, oh no, not in the farmhouse. Sorry, out in the fields. They're they're out in droves, um, making false tracks so that Jasper and Horace will follow them. Yes, uh, which then leads Jasper and Horace to the electric fence from earlier. It does. Which yeah, the two dogs manage to successfully navigate, but um, they do not. They so they step on the log, and it's like, yeah, we'll step over three, two, one. Then the log just rolls, and they both get. Knackers first into the electric fence. <laughs> Have you ever been hit with an electric fence before? Not with an electric fence, no. It's not as bad as you'd think. Oh, okay. Uh, Is it just a mild... Uh, I've had, like, static shock all the time from, like, getting out of my car and such. I imagine it's just like that, but constant. It feels like someone kicking you in the bum. It's really weird. Oh, okay. Because, um, obviously, it goes from your hand sort of down your body, and it... Yeah, it feels like someone's just... Not hard, mm. but it's not... It's not Anywhere near as bad as um, films would make out that it is. I wouldn't want to fancy going knacker first on Twitter. Well, no, I definitely want to, wouldn't want to go knacker first. No. Um, and they literally fly off it like they're <laughs> like rockets, don't they? Yeah. So, shall we discuss all of Cruella's pratfalls? Yeah. So the, sh- the first one brought back some painful memories of a previous episode. Right. When she gets mule kicked. <laughs> yes. It's like, wait a minute, Gus, that's not a football. <laughs> uh, yeah. And but then, the horse was called Gus as well. And then she uh, thinks she can see puppies in the haystack, so she grabs a big pitchfork uh, and misses, um, sees a little tail sticking out, but it's actually um, a, a massive potbelly pig, yep. which then falls on her. <laughs> Somehow not crushed to death. No, again, yeah, she should be uh, very much hurt at this point. Maybe they should be dressing back in the film instead. Yeah, then the raccoon in the hat manages to get her to fall in a giant tub of molasses. Yes. Now, as a kid, when I couldn't didn't know what molasses was, I honestly thought this was a giant vat of shit. Yeah, I've literally written vat of shite. Yeah, um, and it's it's a really gross visual when she comes out because she can't breathe and there's like big bubbles in her mouth yeah. and in between her arms. She's she looks like some kind of slime monster, and it's. <laughs> It's really grotesque. It's funny because in a minute she falls into actual shites, but I think <laughs> yeah. the, the image we're, gonna, we're trying to go for here is, yeah, this is actually a load of poo. But here's the thing. I think, as a kid, it made more sense for a in the farmhouse, in a farm barn, for there to be a giant vat of slurry 
than a vat of molasses anyway. Yeah. Because it's a room full of hay, full of dirt. There are animals living in it, and they have this giant uncovered vat of of sugar. <sighs> I don't understand what its purpose is and why it's there. Apart from it's there for Corella to fall into. I mean, you yeah. know that. But, and it looks like shit. Yeah, but from the practical point of view, why would you on a farm have that? Because you wouldn't be able to sell that molasses now. To trap evil fashion designers. <laughs> it is literally a booby trap and a booby trap only, isn't yeah. it? It's like an Acme anvil. When have you ever needed an anvil in your life? But it's always in a Looney Tunes film. <laughs> you know all those Looney Tunes characters. They're, you know, they're all blacksmiths in a spare time. Obviously. Of course. Well, we'll continue with her. Um... Yeah, she falls into a load of I think it's pig shit as well. Yeah, because the um a ho- the horse kicks a floorboard which catapults her out of the window as well. Yeah. So yeah, she should be dead by now. Oh god, she should be dead with a pig fauna. Yeah. But she monologues to the barn animals before she goes, telling them how they're all gonna end up as bacon and like other other meaty byproducts. Mmm, tasty. And, and then uh, the cops turn up and arrest her. Yeah. Um, and just Jasper and Horace at this point, and Skinner have all been arrested already. They have been, yep. And the cops, like, so we, we've got them all wrapped up, everyone's nice and safe, and then the cops are leaving, and one of them says to the other, what's that up ahead? And we see a shot of a white field full of snow, and right, right, right in the very far corner of the <laughs> shot, as far away as you could possibly be, there is a white mass of dogs. Yes. But the... This guy would not have been able to see them because, as an audience, I can't fucking see them. I don't know. He might have cracking eyesight. White dogs on a white background. It <laughs> wasn't very thought through well, the whole snow thing, was it? No. Makes it look Christmassy, though, so that's all right. Yeah. So they count up all the puppies as they come in, and there's 98 pups and the two adults, which makes 100, and then Tibbs and Lucky crest the horizon. Yeah. And so we get our. 101 it, puppies. Like the policeman literally says, make that 101 Dalmatians. He said for title. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we finally get home. Hooray. Oh, there was uh, one last bit of the police fan that I really liked. All right, okay. Where Quarrel just burying the shit out, out of uh, Horace Jasper and Skinner, saying that they won the... Or was it the gold, silver, bronze in the idiot yeah. Olympics? <laughs> and then Jasper just like quietly goes, who won the gold? Yeah, comic timing on that was brilliant. Yeah, you just know it's coming and just like still like he nailed that line. And then uh, Cruella goes to get something out of her bag, but it turns out her bag is actually the skunk. Yes. <laughs> so they all get sprayed, which is brilliant. And it, it sprays Cruella directly in the mouth as well, <laughs> which just makes me feel gross, but I'm, I'm glad it's her. Yes. The police turn up to Anita and Roger's house with all of the puppies and they basically say to them no one's claimed any of these puppies or announced them missing so do you want all of them? And I was like what? How? (laughs) It's not like these are like puppies bred for a farm or anything because earlier in the film as they're being stolen Skinner has actually got a list of all the surnames yeah. of where the puppies have come from that he's ticking off when he's doing the tally. They've not even like done the interrogation yet to say, okay, where did you steal the puppies from? They just go, well, we don't know. They're not wearing a collar. Do you yeah. want them? Yeah. So it's very odd that nobody 
claims any of these puppies. Yeah, but you've got to get 101 Dalmatians, haven't you? So Yeah, so they, of course, agree to uh, keep the whole lot, because... Yeah. With their no income whatsoever. No income whatsoever, and the, their solution to the problem is, oh, we'll just move into a bigger house. It's just it's like, like, fuck off. You can't. Mm. It's so annoying. The housing market was a lot different before the recession. Oh, that's true. Very true. We get to see another video game test, which is in the two puppies in a minecart, and the baddie at the end is Cruella, and it... Looks exactly like her. Now, not being funny, but she can sue for that and make her millions back. Yeah, to be fair, she would be able to. There have been... I mean, I think recently with the Grand Theft Auto games, there's been plenty of lawsuits about using likenesses in-game. I think Lindsay Lohan sued over a Grand Theft Auto game as well. I think so, yeah. Yeah, Um, the, the girl in Grand Theft Auto 5 story... Yeah. Or was it four? It it was quite obviously her, so she sued. And as well, like in this video game, it's Cruella. She's in the same car as Cruella as well. Yes. So the, you couldn't you couldn't get away with it. Yeah. Right? It's definitely her. But it's a kid's film. Shut the fuck up, nerd. Yeah, but um, the kid is really into the new game. Yes. So, so Roger finally has a sale. He does. Which one sale? <laughs> which means they can move into their new spotty house. So. I don't think any video game developers ever been that successful on the basis of one game that we can move into a massive fucking countryside mansion. Notch from Minecraft. Oh yeah, good point actually. But honestly, that's probably the only thing you can think of because yeah. that's I'm pretty sure that was his. Yeah, that if made, not but... his debut, it was his breakout from yeah, not he, very much. It was that sort of game you could make in your bedroom, which yeah, like in '96, it just. It wouldn't happen, but then again, no. we're getting into nerdy video game stuff. So, the kind of stuff back then, the the big problem was sort of piracy because you would get one guy who maybe could make something like Lemmings or Doom or something along those lines, but then it would just get copied by everybody else. It was yeah. a, it was a frontier that needed taming the video game market back then. Yep. But anyway, they've got the big mansion. They've got nothing for 101 Dalmatians. Their child is now born. Yeah. And guess what? She's preggers again. <sighs> Which is how you have to end a 90s film, isn't it? You do, yeah. Guess what? I'm pregnant. Wah, wah. <laughs> the end. Wah! <laughs> but yeah, as they pan back, they're living in like a country house and they're in the gardens. But as they pan back, the country house is um, painted spotty like a dog. Yeah. It, it looks like uh, Genovia. The castle there. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. Does does that mean um, Mia's secretly half Dalmatian? Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. So that's it. That's the end of the film. So, you know, I'm going to go first for a change. Okie dokie. I always tell you to go first, don't I? Final thoughts, Tim Ruff. Yeah, so. This film is so quintessentially 90s. Mm. As I've mentioned already, you've got your Mrs. Doubtfire sort of spoofing bits. It reminds you of Home Alone. Um, really reminds you of Babe as well, with all the farm trained farm animals. Um, but this isn't a derogatory way I'm talking of it. Like, I did enjoy it. It felt like a good quality version of this, even if it was ripping off a lot of different films. Yep. Um, Glenn Close in it is absolutely hamming it up to to the rafters. 
Um, she's like a pantomime villain. She knows exactly what she's in for. It's It makes 101 Dalmatians almost a bit like uh, Maleficent. Mm. That's what I was trying to get at earlier, is that like it pushes the villain to the front of the film and it works really well that way. Because as you say, she is the most important character in the plot. Um, the animals in this insanely well-trained, very watchable, very likable, relatable. Even when they're doing non-verbal communication between each other, you always can understand what they're getting at. Um, and this is this is the first film that I've watched for this podcast where there's there's a real feeling of Disney magic. Right, yeah. And I get that. It's not a tangible thing you can really explain, but... You it's can, all the snow. Yeah, it, you can feel it in your heart. Aww. Um, and just good work. Hmm. Nothing to complain about with this one. Okay, then. And that's that's my thoughts. Fair enough. Your turn. Uh, pardon me. Disgusting. Sorry. So, I... Well, I, I really enjoyed it. Um f- First time I've seen it since the nineties. Same. Uh, I, I remember seeing this in the cinema back in the day. It, it it whizzed through very nicely. I mean, considering this is a bit longer than our usual films that review on here, uh, an hour forty five. It certainly felt like it felt like it was only seventy eighty minutes long. Yeah. Um, I will say in the end, the latter half of the film made the film feel quite disposable, if you get what I mean. I think it did fall into that Home Alone sort of, let's have a few pratfalls. And it never felt like the animals were in any actual danger, which I know is a tough line to balance, because you don't want animal cruelty at the forefront of your films, uh, Disney films. You usually have them in the background of like a clearly abused bear in... (laughs) I can't remember the bloody film that was now. Uh, Escape to Witch Mountain. Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Animal acting was really good, really surprising. And I know there's been talk of it before, but I do legitimately think, in that case, animals should be up for awards. Yeah, Because yeah. they did a lot better job than what the humans did. Um, and I mean, um, Glenn Close was good in a role, but it was very pantomime. It, it was what it needed. Yeah. I think, especially with like some of the lines Glenn Close threw in there as well about drowning puppies and all that lot, it had to be so over the top, otherwise it would have been too real. That's it, you don't want a, a dark and gritty film about skinning animals alive, do you? You want it to you have to no. ham it up or it's... Although, <laughs> yeah, I'll finally draft one and get home. Um, like, Roger Anita, well, Jeff Daniels especially it could have been anyone in that role. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think he was only put in there as this whole weird thing that we did in the 90s, as in like Britain, where we'd have a production, but then you get a famous American in there. Because exactly, yeah. that appeals to American audiences, apparently. Yeah. Mm, I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, but yeah, I'm rambling now. So it's, say, it, it was good fun, ultimately disposable. But I do get what you mean about that Disney magic as well. I can see myself watching this again at Christmas time. Yeah. But it's it's very rewatchable. It is, yes. So how many gems are you gonna give it? I think I'm gonna go with a seven. Okay. Yeah. I was originally gonna say eight and a half, but I think 
what you've said about it being quite disposable, it is very sort of bubblegum, this kind of film. So I might bring it down a bit. I might go an eight. Okay. I mean, not to say that disposable is a bad thing. It's no. just, I felt like it could have given a bit more in terms of the stakes. It, yeah, in the 90s sort of rip-off, it was quite derivative, but it's a good version of a derivative film, isn't it? Yes. It's the high end of high end of homage and stuff. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was good. It was. It was fine. Yep. So, that was my pick, meaning that the next film will be your pick. Okay, and like I said earlier on, I didn't actually think of anything until I remembered what I saw the other day, and I'm now worried that the only way to watch this is again to rent it off YouTube. Okay. So, I might dub over my choice later on if I change my mind. (laughs) See, because at the minute... We seem to be we're supposed to be about forgotten and obscure. Yeah, we've been too uh, too mainstream. We need to get back to the. We have been. Oh, we need to change. Dives. Oh, we need to change the wording. Yeah. But for now, I'm going to go back to a deep dive. Okay. With the film from 1967, mm-hmm. it was apparently one of the last films personally produced by Walt Disney. And from the looks of the picture, it's the same two kids from Mary Poppins in it. Which is really interesting. Oh, I remember seeing a picture of them in another film recently, but I can't remember what, so... The Gnomobile. Yes! Yes, this is on Disney Life. Oh, God. So, if... Will I come out to your house? I was going to say, we can either screen it or I'll send you my details so you can watch it at home. Okay. Because, yeah, I spotted this on Disney Life. Because the Gnomobile just sounds like... It's going to be one of these clickbait... Uh, it is, title yes. Title films where the film is really fucking boring. There'll be no gnome in it. <laughs> you won't believe who drives this car. It'll literally turn out to be one character has a car in it that has a gnome hat on it or something daft like that, and that'll be the whole film. Yep, sounds about right. So, well, <laughs> great. Okay. Well, can we find you on the internet, Tim? Off. You know what? The shittest thing about Mary Poppins is those two kids. It is, and now yeah. we're going to watch another film with them in. Hooray! Great. Yeah. What, ask, a, ask again. Where can we find you on the internet? My Twitter is at TimblesRH. And where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on the Twitters at KidsSwole. I may have changed my handle by then. Who knows? This is going out in like September time. So yeah. anything could happen. So find me on MySpace. Yeah, and the official Instagram for this podcast is at without a mouse, and our Twitter is now at podwam, p o d w a m. Wham. And if you want to message us with some feedback or comments or your own little reviews that we can read out from the films that we've watched, um, you can send them to at. No, you can't. You can send them to without a mouse at gmail dot com. And if you want a guest spot on the podcast, then let us know as well. Without a mouse at gmail dot com. Yes, we put out. We have got some more guests coming up later in the year, yep. but um, so we'll keep you posted on that. But if you can speak better than what I do, you're qualified. Be so, on the show. So anyone from any country in the world, basically. Yep. If you're from Barcelona, Spain, <laughs> we need to network. Yep. Want to do a live tour there? Hit us up. We'll come all the way to you for the recording. Yep. I mean, you have to pay for it, though. Yeah. All right. See you then. We
Without a Mouse is part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Logo by Chris House. Theme tune by Ether Moore.